We are on the section uh, called Concentration, Right Concentration and Absorption. And we just <coughs> uh, arrived at his summary of uh, right concentration uh, involving the, um, say, the decisive criterion for describing concentration as right is whether it is developed in conjunction with the other factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. Venerable Analio continues. The word jhana, absorption, is derived from the verb chayati, to meditate. Although jhana usually refers to the attainment of deep absorption, the word occasionally retains its original meaning of meditation. So therefore not particularly absorption, but just the the action of, um, uh, say, focusing the mind to practice meditation in, in any way, shape, or form. The Gopaka Moggallana Sutta, for example, mentions a form of jhana in which the hindrances still obsess the mind. Such jhana, quote-unquote, does not qualify as a meditative absorption, since it is the absence of the hindrances that characterizes true absorption. In order to assess the practical implications of such a true state of absorption, a brief examination of the first absorption is required at this point. The problem with understanding the first absorption is that two of its mental factors, initial mental application, vitaka, and sustained uh, mental application, vichara, have been differently interpreted. As we were talking about a bit yesterday, They've been differently interpreted. As vitaka, initial mental application is etymologically related to taka, T-A-K-K-A, which denotes thought and logical reasoning. Several scholars conclude that conceptual thought continues in the first stage of absorption. Uh, Some discourses appear at first sight to support this since they refer to the second absorption as the cessation of wholesome intentions or as a state of quote-unquote noble silence. This point is of course, of, uh, sorry, this point is of considerable relevance to an understanding of the nature of absorption. The issue at stake, simply stated, is whether the first absorption is a deep state of concentration achieved only after a prolonged period of practice and seclusion, or a state of relaxed, happy reflection within easy reach of anyone and without much need for meditative proficiency. So uh, I would uh, uh, humbly like to point out that he's making a very um, <laughs> uh, sort of uh, black and white uh, uh, distinction there, and um, I don't really agree with that sort of, it's either the one or the other, that it's a, a deep state of concentration only uh, achieved after a prolonged period of practice, or a stage of relaxed, happy reflection with an easy reach. Uh, I think he's, um, this my, and my experience is that he's, he's missing the fact that you can have a, um, uh, a prolonged period of practice and seclusion and, uh, and a, a strongly focused mind, and for there to be conceptual thought uh, present at the same time. So I think he's making a bit of a false, di- in, my, in my humble opinion, or my not very humble opinion, He's making a, a bit of a false distinction that it's not either sort of 
just cheerfully sitting in your armchair, thinking away and musing, the sort of classic armchair Buddhist, um, a stage of happy reflection within easy reach of anyone and without much need for meditative proficiency. I, I think it's, he's making uh, a, a, a false distinction there because um, the, uh, as we were talking a bit about uh, yesterday in terms of listening to a Dhamma talk and becoming an Arahant, the way you're listening to a Dhamma talk, um, there is um, uh, you know, the, the, the capacity to, to think and reflect, uh, but the mind can be you know, extremely uh, clearly focused and fully one-pointed, but at the same time, conceptual thought can be, uh, can be present, can be used, and, uh, uh, and so that uh, as we go along, I'll probably chime in and make my uh, perceptions um, and uh, uh, perspective known, but uh, also we can open things up for some discussion. The the uh, another I don't uh, I don't know whether he uses this uh, imagery later on. Um, I don't think he does right here. But one of the the classic ways of describing the contrast between vitaka and vichara is it's, uh, they use the image of a nail. So vitaka is uh, uh, even those of us who are not carpenters will probably have familiarity with putting a na- knocking a nail into a piece of wood. So the <coughs> the vitaka is Picking up the nail and placing it in the in the, uh, the the spot where you want it, and then the vichara is the driving the nail in, and so so it's initial applica- and initial application and sustained application. So the vitaka is placing the attention on the particular subject or, or the um, the issue the, the or the meditation object, and then the vichara is following that through and using uh, using thought. To, to sustain the attention on that so that um, it might be, for example, uh, as you're um, the, focusing the mind, say, <coughs> okay, now uh, bring the attention to, to focus on the breath. So that would be a vitaka. You're using a conceptual thought. Okay, <coughs> now, now's the time to focus completely on the breath. Right, so that's the vitaka. And then the vichara would be, as, uh, as the practice proceeds, like there's just the breath. This is, this is the, this is the in-breath, this is the out-breath. This is, and so that the, uh, the vichara is the sustaining or uh, the use of, of, um, of, uh, of thought and the, and the mind's capacity to attend and, and to describe, uh, to keep the attention on the, on the, the theme. And so that... Uh, this is that's this is how I understand it and how it seems to to work in in my mind. So that that as a helpful image, I find the uh, putting a nail in the right place and then knocking it in. Of course, um, uh, <coughs> if you bend, <laughs> if you don't knock it in right, then you bend the nail and have to pull it out again. But that's another story. Okay, so <coughs> so he's making this distinction about the um, the. And uh, a relaxed, happy reflection within easy reach of anyone. So then he says, the latter assumption stands in contradiction to the commentarial presentation, which describes in detail the stages of development prior to absorption. These sources indicate that to attain the first absorption, a considerable considerable amount of meditative development is required. Although references to this preliminary development uh, appear only obliquely in the discourses. In one instance, at least, the Upakilesa Sutta, the Buddha gave a detailed account of his own struggle to attain the first absorption. And that uh, in that Sutta, the Upakilesa Sutta, 
the, there's several pages of the Buddha describing his own working with the hindrances of restlessness and too much energy, not enough energy, uh, a lot of doubt or, or um, yeah, a lot of desire or an absence of, of desire, a lot of restlessness and so on. So uh, one after another he talks about dealing with the, the, uh, the five hindrances in, in various ways. This passage leaves no doubt that the Buddha himself encountered considerable difficulty when he attempted to attain the first absorption, even though in his early youth he had already once experienced it. And so that's describing um, or referring to the, the description that the Buddha gives of um, uh, his insight into the middle way, where he was, uh, had been struggling as a, an ascetic and uh, through the very severe practices of self mortification, starving himself, and, and great uh, 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 degrees of exertion, uh, and to the point where he was just blacking out, he was going, falling over unconscious, um, and his, his body couldn't sustain itself. And um, then this memory came into his mind of um, uh, a time in his childhood, and it just describes that uh, his father was, was working in the fields, um, and that Later, tradition says, oh, well, his father was the king of the Sakyans and he was in- engaged in some kind of festival. Whether it was uh, exactly what uh, King Sarodhana was doing, uh, it's not uh, for sure, but the, the image is that of the, uh, uh, the Bodhisattva as the young son, um, not involved in the ceremony or what his dad was doing, and sitting under the tree. And um, uh, his mind went in naturally into this state of, of a very... And peaceful absorption, and he had this memory of this being a very delightful and beautiful uh, state, uh, just sitting under the tree, and he was a young kid, and his uh, his mind was in this this blissful, clear, bright uh, state, and he said, "Well, that was really pleasant," uh, and because part of the the, uh, the ethic or the the background philosophy of asceticism is that pleasure is bad. You know, pleasure burns up your your good karma. And so that you should experience pain. The more pain you experience, the more good karma you create, the more tapas, the more um, spiritual uh, power, spiritual heat uh, you develop. And so all pleasure is bad, and it's like a leaky bucket. The more, if you experience something pleasant, then your, your, your tapas, your spiritual strength, is, is a, a draining away. And so that uh, <clears throat> there was a kind of re- revulsion or pushing away anything that was pleasant or, or, or uncomfortable. So this was a key insight uh, of the, the Buddha, that is spontaneously arising memory of him as a child, uh, and say, well, that was really pleasant. I was, but I was just a young child, so why am I afraid of that kind of pleasure? Because that, it was really pleasant, but there was nothing unwholesome connected with that, that pleasant feeling. Why am I afraid of it? Why, why should I be afraid of pleasure? And because he'd been sort of pushed to his limit, uh, and that uh, he realized that, that it's impossible to experience more pain than I'm experiencing. <laughs> this is, so I know the limit to which feeling goes, is the, the words he used. Uh, you can't experience more pain than this and stay conscious. And still, I'm not liberated, so there's got to be another way. So he'd really been sort of um, forced to the, the um, the, uh, the the edges of his um, uh, say uh, of his practice, and then he had this spontaneous memory, and he thought, "Oh well, 
Yeah, there's no need to be afraid of that. Uh, maybe, maybe that's instead of being a problem or an obstruction, maybe that's actually the way to enlightenment. And the, as the story goes, said immediately, I knew that this is the way to enlightenment. This intuition arose that not only was that kind of um, pleasant state not an obstruction, but that was that was the path that he should follow. So he, from that time, gave up his ascetic. Um, uh, practices and uh, began uh, eating more normal quantities of food. That's when he was, received the, the milk rice from Sujata and uh, began eating normally and then got rejected by his companions who thought he'd gone soft and given up on the, <coughs> on the, the yogi's life. Um, so that's what he's referring to here is that there's a, he had experienced that first absorption. So it was a, a pleasant, bright, clear um, state of mind that... Um, it was had just naturally arisen through him quietly sitting under a tree during some uh, event. The Upakilesa Sutta is addressed to Anuruddha and a group of monks who were evidently in similar difficulties, so also experiencing many of the hindrances. On another occasion, the Buddha also had to assist Moggallana to attain the first absorption. It's noteworthy that Anuruddha and Moggallana, who both later excelled all the other disciples with their concentrative powers, needed the Buddha's personal intervention to attain merely, quote-unquote, the first absorption. These examples suggest that the attainment of the first absorption requires a considerable degree of meditative proficiency. According to the discourses, one who has entered the first absorption is no longer able to speak. This would not apply if the first absorption were merely a state of calm mental reflection. Not only speech, but also hearing, does not occur during the deeper stages of absorption. In fact, sound is a major obstacle to attaining the first absorption. The experience of the first absorption is an unworldly experience. Uh, unworldly in that is... Uh, uh, samisa is the, the, the Pali for that. Sorry, is um, uh, Niramisa, means unworldly. Samisa is worldly, Niramisa is unworldly. It constitutes another world in the psychological and cosmological sense. To attain the first absorption is to reach a superbly extraordinary state, that's uh, from one of the suttas in the Majima. Already the first absorption blindfolds Mara, since on entering this state one goes beyond the range of Mara's vision. These passages support an understanding of the first absorption as a deeply absorbed state of mind, beyond mere reflection and conceptual thought. It is therefore reasonable to suppose that, as uh, absorption factors, initial mental application, vitaka, and sustained mental application, vichara, do not imply full-fledged thinking activity. Rather, they refer to the initial and sustained application of attention. Such application of attention can also take place in the domain of thought or verbal communication when in initial mental application directs the mind towards what is to be thought or said, while sustained mental application maintains the coherence of a particular sequence of thoughts or words. So that's a... It's a uh, uh, you can you know, apply that image of the, the nail and the hammer driving the nail in to that as well. In the context of absorption, however, this same activity is nothing more than the intentional deployment of attention directed towards the object of concentration. 
To translate Vitaka as initial mental application finds support in the Mahachatarisaka Sutta, which includes application of the mind, Chetaso Apiniropana, in a list of synonyms for right thought, along with Vitaka. To understand Vitaka as initial application of the mind can moreover claim support from the Abhidhamma and the commentaries and from numerous modern meditation teachers and scholars. Um, so uh, he, cho- he quotes uh, Ayakema, Bhikkhu Bodhi, Ajahn Chah, Lance Cousins, uh, Goenkaji, Lady Sayador, Park Sayador, uh, Caroline Reese Davids, Shwe Umin, and Shabaksky and Suvija to back him up on that. <laughs> Um, this way of understanding can also be applied to the above-mentioned passages, which at first sight seemed to suggest that conceptual thought continues in the first stage of absorption, since they spoke of the cessation of wholesome intentions, on attaining the second absorption a state of noble silence. Although initial mental application as a factor of the first absorption is different from discursive thought, initial mental application is nonetheless in this context a kind of intention, and thereby involves a very subtle degree of mental, deliberate mental activity. Only on entering the second absorption, when this last vestige of mental activity is abandoned and concentration has become fully stable, does the mind reach a state of complete inner stillness, noble silence, leaving behind even these subtle, wholesome intentions. Based on the passages considered so far, it seems reasonable to suppose that absorption, jhana, refers to profound experiences of deep concentration achieved after having developed a considerable degree of meditative proficiency. Though I still disagree (laughs) to an extent, because I think one of the the reasons is that sometimes people who are extremely accomplished thinkers, uh, they assume that, or there's the, 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 um, the perspective that if, you are th- if there's thought going on, the mind must be absorbed in that thought. And um, that uh, uh, I, I think one of the things that's missed is that thought is another sense object. So just as uh, I would say, like within the experience of, uh, say, um, Upachara Samadhi, uh, the kind of uh, neighborhood concentration and Apana Samadhi um, uh, absorption, that uh, the, you know, the senses are, are operating just as the, you know, they can feel the sense of the body's presence, they can hear sounds, um, that the, uh, the presence of thought, you know, the, the eye perceives light, the ear perceives sound, um, the, the, uh, the tongue tastes flavors and those smells odors, the body feels uh, sensations, and the mind perceives thought, that thought is a sense object. And um, uh, sometimes when people are... Um, uh, uh, profoundly accomplished intellectuals, and it's also a very common experience uh, amongst Westerners, is that it's, it's taken that, uh, as for granted that thought has to be an obstruction to peace of mind, or that the, if the mind is, is experiencing thought, that the attention is completely absorbed into the content of that thought. But just like one can hear sound and not be attached to the, to the content of the sound, one can see images and not be attached to the, to the patterns of the images, in exactly the same way, you can be aware of thought, and thought can be doing its thing, but the mind is not absorbed in it, it's not confused by it, it's not even necessarily believing what the thoughts say. And uh, I've found that Lumpur Sumato's teachings on this in, in particular really, really helpful, he, and he's quite a thinker. <laughs> so his, uh, uh, his insight and his sort of, uh, say, uh, teachings around this, and also... Um, 
the uh, the teachings of, of Lumpur Cha, but particularly the kind of methodologies that Lumpur Sumedha has taught over the years, learning how to think, be mindful of thought, and how to think deliberately, because also uh, it's often assumed that if there is thought going on, it's just a, like a, a, a random stream of thinking. But uh, uh, my experience is, and I, and I teach a lot about this in, in, in retreats, is that when there is mindful mindfulness of thought, you, uh, the thought can be happening and can be quite deliberate. And, and when we talk about reflective thought, like Yoniso Manasikara or Dhamma Vijaya, um, this uh, investigative uh, thought or reflective thought, that there's a, a quality of, of spaciousness. You, you think in whole sentences. <laughs> when the, the, the ordinary patterns of thinking, what we call papancha or conce- conceptual proliferation, you never, you never really get to the end of a clause. It's just got kind of, it's like sort of half-broken streams of words, and you're jumping onto the one thing to another, to another, to another, like, like uh, <clears throat> jumping from one website to another with never finishing a single article. You just go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, there's a link. Oh, there's another link. There's another link. There's another link. There's another link. <laughs> you never actually read one particular piece, but you're always hopping onto the next thing. So that's a really good image of um, Papancha. It's kind of, the internet is like Papancha incarnate. <laughs> you can quote me on that, put that on your, put that on your fridge. It's, uh, <clears throat> and so reflective thought is like reading the article from the beginning to the end, <laughs> not following the links. You know. So when, when uh, there's mindfulness uh, of thought and thinking mindfully, and not, not speaking about being in absorption, but when that the, the mind is uh, is using reflective thought, then you can pick up a theme, uh, explore it, carry it through, and finish it. There's a space before you pick up the theme. You, the, there's a, a, a use of the thought. There's an exploring. You follow it through. You come to the end of the sentence. That's interesting. Full stop. Space. Silence. <laughs> there's a, a measured quality, like a, an evenness in the in the thinking. And for I, I, my uh, experience in talking with people and my own watching my own mind is that for many people that's just like completely unknown territory. That thinking equals the sort of blur of, of activity and half finished sentences and just one thing chasing after another after another. But uh, reflective thought, and, and, and particularly if the mind is in a, a state of absorption then the use of thought, it can be absolutely deliberate and completely clear, there's no confusion whatsoever. The mind thinks, now is the time to bring the attention to the breath, or this is the listening to the inner sound, here is the nada sound. You can think those words, here is the nada sound. With no confusion. (laughs) This is the in-breath. This is the out-breath. There doesn't have to be a, a follow-on. They can just, into the silence of the mind, there can be, this is the in-breath. This is the out-breath. The in-breath feels like this. This is the space between the end of the out-breath and before the next in-breath. How long will it be before the next in-breath begins? This is taking a long time. Oh, there it is. <laughs> well, you can use thought to be ma- you know, tracking and mapping the, the, uh, the flow of experience. So I think he goes too far in saying that there can't be any thought, or that conceptual thought is somehow an intrinsic 
it's, it's an anathema. It, it, it's not possible in uh, in that, uh, at least in in first jhana, and that uh, I, I think he over over exit, as they say. He kind of overdoes the 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 um, <coughs> the his his uh, expression here of of his opinion because in most instances vitaka just means conceptual thought like the the um <coughs> the in the the middle length discourses the sutta number 20 i think is the vitaka santana sutta the the the, the quelling of distracted thought just vitaka means thinking it's like that's what it's it's a simply straightforwardly referring to so um, this is my opinion, not particularly humble, <laughs> but uh, and my um, and my experience of this, uh, and also just the developing of the skill of using thought mindfully is extraordinarily helpful. So I, I, I feel that um, it's more uh, realistic and useful to understand that just uh, that the the mind can be uh, uh, say absorbed in that. Um, in a full way, you know, based on you know the absence of the hindrances, <laughs> and a uh, and a, uh, a, a you know, hard work has gone into it. It's not just sort of casually sitting in your armchair and just letting the mind you know, muse and float around. But no, the, the, there's the hindrances are in abeyance. The hindrances have fallen away. The mind is is fully attentive. It's focused on the the object. But the, there can be the thought. This is the feeling of the in-breath. This is the the, and also if you 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 notice in the Anapanasati Sutta, mindfulness of breathing that that he mindfully breathes in. He knows I breathe in long. He knows I breathe out long. And as I breathe in short, I breathe out short. There's a, there's a naming of the experience, and I'd say that that very naming that's that's vitaka. So that's my little rant. <laughs> yes. I don't have the text, so I don't know what's going to come next or what, what he says next, but um, in the beginning he said that he's writing this book um, not only as, as an intellectual thinker, but also as experienced meditator. Yeah. So you think that he's taking it up with his own experience because he's not somehow stating that, that there is nowhere. Uh, something that says, in my experience, it is like this. He doesn't say that. He's quoting other meditation teachers, like Ajahn Chah. Does Char. it say anything about, hmm? does it say anything about uh, whether he has that experience or not? He doesn't say that. No, he, 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 never, he never refers to his own experience, which is a shame, because that would be interesting to read. Yeah. But it's down to culture as well. He's German. <laughs> Well, it's also it's an academic culture, exactly. so that you you can't talk about what you experience. Exactly. Oh, heaven forbid! Mm-hmm. You have to. That's why I, I was when I, I was very disappointed and shocked when I went to university and in the first uh, the first term I was I did a joint degree in psychology and physiology and so I think it was in the very first term, uh, you know, about a month or, or two into the the, the course. And we had to do an essay on some subject or other, and um, and I wrote I thought it was pretty you know, interesting, uh, creative, and and uh, thoughtful essay, and I got like a C minus or a D or something, and pretty poor mark, and and 
you know, I can be a bit inflated and full of myself. I thought, no. Oh. <laughs> and um, I was a bit surprised. And then my um, tutor, Dr. Wilding, if I remember, <laughs> he quite, quite cheerfully said, um, we don't want to know what you think. We want to. We 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 need to know because I I think I might ask him how come my mark is so low. I thought there was some, some. Uh, I thought I came up with some interesting ideas. And he said, yeah, we don't want to know, know what you think. We want to know what you've studied. And uh, I kind of looked at him like, what? And he said, yeah. I mean, your you 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 know your ideas might be interesting to you, but they're they're completely unsubstantiated. You haven't got any. Ba- there's no experimental data to back it up. It's just you, you thinking about what you think is true and just talking about what's going, thoughts going through your mind. That has no value. Oh. <laughs> I, I realized I was not in the territory I thought I was. So anyway, it's a, I think he's speaking from an academic. You, know, you don't just talk about your own experience, but you quote other people and, and such. So I th- he might be holding off. On that, so it would be very interesting to hear him speaking. And uh, also, I acknowledge that that people use the words in different ways. And um, and so, um, uh, but I do feel uh, that um, that that it doesn't quite match uh, both experience and also what you have in the suttas, like the Buddha saying, you know, "Mindfully, he breathes in those. He knows I breathe in long, I breathe out long." There is that's that's vitaka. So whether that's describing a state, a state of absorption or something that's a preliminary aspect of practice, it's another uh, another issue. But um, I, uh, I mean, it's also it, it's um, we can find out for our, find out for ourselves, you know, that, that to explore. And when the when those um, kind of states appear, then that's exactly the time. To, okay, this this has got all the characteristics of. Of that uh, absorption, okay. What, what do we have here? Well, here's the mind saying, "What do we have here?" Okay, so there's some conceptual thought, <laughs> and and uh, I think it, it's it, it took me a long time because you get these descriptions, and uh, and I had this idea. Uh, it was really interesting. I was I was um, I was up at um, I, I, I was a fairly junior monk. I was up at Harnham um, with Ajahn Tiradamo. It was about 1984, 85, kind of during the winter retreat in 1984. And, so, and um, just after that, and some people came, came to visit and they were, and they were talking. And, and I made some comment like, you know, well, I don't know anything at all about jhana. I've never experienced you know, that at all. And Ajahn Tiradamo just turned around to me and said, rubbish. I said, yeah, he, he was the Ajahn, so. Oh. Uh, and he said, uh, uh, I said, Oh, why do you say that? He said, well, you, you couldn't sit as still as you do if you didn't have some experience of jhana. You're just not calling it that. No. Oh. Because I just sort of labeled, like, well, jhana is what other, other, that's what you read about in the books or you hear about other people. But that, that's, I, I, haven't, I haven't achieved anything. That's just, that's not my mind. And it was just a very startling comment, and it was so completely matter of fact to, to him. Like, you know, he, he's a very he's a Canadian, you know, very straightforward ca- character. Like Canadians generally speak their minds. I thought, 
well, that's an interesting thought. <laughs> so then I began, to, uh, you know, I, I took it to heart. Okay, well, I'm telling myself I've never experienced jhana, or I can't do, you know, I can't concentrate because my mind does, just doesn't do that. And then, <clears throat> so then, I, I, in in the meditation, I began to sort of explore and say, well, okay, well, so what are these jhana factors? And then, oh, oh, oh. Oh, I see what he means. Oh, okay, <laughs> because I just had been, you know, labeling the, the the things in a different way. So I'm not making any kind of claims, since monks aren't supposed to allowed to do that. But uh, um, I'm just recounting a conversation that happened uh, up in Harnham. But it was very, it was a very um, uh, interesting that I had said, "Oh, this is something I can't do, or it's not, it's not within my capacity," and. Um, but yet I was, um, you know, I was uh, uh, in a sense under you know, underestimating the things, or just sort of the way I'd, I'd labelled my experience. That, uh, thinking, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't have any uh, a kind of uh, ability to to concentrate the mind like that. But the actuality of the experience, uh, I realised, oh, maybe he's right. <laughs> that, that is, when I actually looked at what the constituents of the mind states were in meditation, I thought, oh, okay, that may, that, there's, there's some validity there. So the next section is called Absorption and Realization. So may I ask something about this? Sure. Um, is that that he refers to experimental memory as a thought? His comment from John. Experiential memory. Um, he's referring to um, attention, application of the mind. He says, uh, you know, vitaka. He doesn't talk about memory there at all. It's um, uh, it's referring to the application and sustaining of attention. So it's like it's not memory. It's just the the, the quality of attention is what he's talking about being directed. Yes, yes. So, um, I think in my experience, if 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 the mind's meditating and the thoughts and the thoughts are just naming the experience, then I barely think of it as thought, although I recognise it is thought. Mm-hmm. But actually, if if there are other things that start happening. In, in thought that to do with memory mm-hmm. in a different kind of way, I think there's a whole different process. Yes, I would say so. But I, I would say that not to, to call that, say, the naming of, like, here, this is the in-breath, this is the out-breath, I would say that's vitaka. And then the little kind of instructions that you can give to yourself uh, as you go along, I'd say that that's, that's within the realm of conceptual thought. It's verbal thought. That's how, at least how I use the, the terminology. But yes, remembering going for a walk in the park when you were three is, is a whole different uh, domain. It still would come under the, 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 the sort of broad umbrella of, of Vitaka as a, as a thought. But um, 
in I would say to 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 not um, call that kind of use of thinking vitaka is is uh, or uh, to say that it isn't a conceptual thought it, it seems to be inaccurate to me. That's that's um, well, yeah. That's essentially. I mean, also uh, some people think in pictures or in musical sounds. I did come across a a, a chef who can who could think in flavors. His, his papancha was in, in flavor. He could imagine and manipulate flavors in his imagination. So, which was because of his conditioning, yeah. but for most people, it's a ver- it's a vachi sankara. It's a it's a verbal formation. Okay, but if you don't experience thought, but you're experiencing, say, streams of images or impressions, that is still applied thought or sustained thought. That I, that I would say that that's there's still vitaka, yeah. and that. There can still be a um, uh, an, a mindful awareness of that without being caught into the 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 content of it. Also, the the appearance of nimittas uh, images in medit- that arise in meditation would would that would also be um, <coughs> within that. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it's debatable, but I, I would generally put it within the same domain. Things to ponder. Many things to ponder. <laughs> so let's uh, carry on. So countless discourses. This is uh, absorption and realization. Is this section? Countless discourses recommend the development of concentration as an essential factor for quote knowing things as they really are unquote. Yata putan nyanadasana in Pali. Concentration is a requirement for full awakening. And this concentration has to be right concentration. These specifications recommend absorption concentration as a requisite for full awakening. However, the question might be asked if the same is also required for stream entry. Although, owing to the powerful impact of experiencing Nibbana at stream entry, the concentrative unification of one's mind, citta se kagata, will momentarily reach a level comparable to absorption, how far does this require the previous development of absorption with a calmness object of meditation? And I think that it's also, um, whether he, he speaks about it in detail or not, it's, it's like the, the many, many, many instances of people hearing Dhamma talks of the Buddha uh, and becoming stream enterers or, or real, having deeper realizations, um, people who had say, never heard the teaching before, or who were complete, um, uh, say, strangers to the, to, the, to the Buddha, and hearing a Dhamma talk for the first time, and then realizing a stream entry on, on hearing the teaching, so that they wouldn't have had uh, a um, particular, or the implication is they wouldn't have had a particular experience of meditation. Um, there is a, um, you know, many, uh, 
quite a number of instances like that, where the, someone is a, uh, a farmer or a householder, or, um, or the f- a famous instance, uh, a, a leper, Supa, Supa Buddha, the a leper who was a beggar, um, the, the Buddha um, gave a Dhamma talk, uh, and uh, he became a stream enterer listening to listening to the, the Dhamma talk, and he had he was a, 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 a poor homeless person, and that, uh, but listening to the this teaching for the first time, then he became a stream enterer. The qualities listed in the discourses as essential for the realization of stream entry do not stipulate the ability to attain absorption, nor are such abilities mentioned in the descriptions of the qualities that are characteristic of a stream enterer subsequent to realization. <clears throat> so the, the, those qualities of um, the breakthrough of self-view, um, uh, the attachment to conventions, rites and rituals, sila pata paramasa, and then the um, breakthrough, breaking through doubt, vichikicha. And... Um, Let's see, 59. The, uh, uh, the note on the, um, the, the, the list of characteristics that, or the sort of basis of, of stream entry is sapurisa sangseva, uh, association with superior people or a superior person. <coughs> the... Uh, uh, listening, listening to the Dhamma, uh, Dhamma Savana, uh, wise attention or skillful attention, Yoniso Manasikara, and then practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma, Dhamma Anu Dhamma Patipata. Those are the four conditions for, for stream entry or, or supportive of stream entry. And, um, and also the, the, uh, the characteristics uh, of uh, the stream enter. Uh, uh, Exhibits after realization is um, the, uh, uh, as I say, perfect faith in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and then a firm grounding in ethical conduct in Sila. According to the discourses, what is a necessary condition for being able to gain stream entry is a state of mind completely free from the five hindrances. Although a convenient way to remove the hindrances is the development of absorption. This is not the only way to do so. According to a discourse in the Itivutaka, the hindrances can also be removed and the mind become concentrated even during walking meditation, a posture not suitable for attaining absorption. In fact, another passage shows that the hindrances can temporarily be absent even outside the context of formal meditation, such as when one is listening to the Dhamma. This alternative is corroborated by a fair number of the attainments of stream entry recorded in the discourses where the person in question might not even have meditated regularly in this life, much less be able to attain absorption. And there's a, a lengthy uh, note on, uh, on that. Um, and uh, there's a, oh, he particularly mentions... Um, uh, uh, say the, um, this impression is borne out by the account um, of a drunken layman who sobered up through the impact of meeting the Buddha for the first time, realized stream entry during a gradual discourse given at that same meeting, so that you show up drunk to a Dhamma talk. Mm-hmm. Don't try it. 
Uh, don't say Ajahn Amaro told you to show up drunk to a Dhamma talk. But, uh, there is an there is a, a, an occasion where somebody showed up drunk to a Dhamma talk and then sobered up and became a stream enterer. But it was with the Buddha giving the talks. And then in the Udana, uh, there, there's a story of Super Buddha. Uh, it says um, a leper described as poor, pitiable, and wretched person, similarly realizing stream entry during a discourse of the Buddha. This leper had actually mistaken the crowd listening to the Buddha for a free distribution of food. So he saw this crowd of people. And thought, oh, it's the, they're giving food. Uh, they're giving food out. So he he went to try and get a get a bite to eat. And had only approached in the hope of getting a meal. And finally, according to the, uh, the description in the Vinaya, several hired killers, one of whom even had the mission of killing the Buddha, all became stream enterers instead of completing their mission after hearing a gradual discourse by the Buddha. In all these cases, it's not very probable that those realizing stream entry were involved in the regular practice of meditation or in the possession of jhanic attainments. There was a... Um, uh, a very uh, sweet and gentle old monk that I knew uh, at, when I was a novice at what Pananachat called Porsui. Um, and I found out many years later he was a hitman. He, ha- he had been a hitman hired to kill Ajahn Chah. And, uh, uh, and you might think you know, these, these stories are sort of, oh, well, that's back in the, in the time of the Buddha, all these ancient scriptures. But uh, I don't think Porsui was necessarily a stream enterer, but. <laughs> He certainly was a very peaceful and um, sweet old monk. And um, some years later, uh, I heard this, this story. Oh yeah, poor Sui, he was a hitman. And then what happened was that he was, he'd been hired by some local persons to bump Ajahn Chah off. And uh, he um, was sizing up his target and got a bit too close to the Dhamma talk. And um, would sort of hang around Ajahn Chah's kuti and we ended up so listening to uh, too many of his teachings and then began to think, well, maybe I'll, I'll do the job next week. You know, this, bloke's, this bloke's got some really interesting things to say. And I, well, actually, yeah. Well, I, I know, I've got to bump him off, but you know, this, is, this, is, this is good stuff. You know? I'll, I'll kind of get what I can first, and then I'll, then I'll do it. And then, uh, but after some time, whether Ajahn Chah knew what was going on or not is another story. But um, uh, after a time, then poor Sui realized, I can't do this. Uh, yeah, so he bailed out of the contract and, and went to Ajahn Chah and said, Lumpur, I've got something to confess. <laughs> and uh, admitted that he'd been hired to kill him. And uh, Lumpur said, well, you might make some people angry if you don't carry it out, so you better stay here. <laughs> so he moved into the monastery and then ended up becoming a monk. I had no, I had no idea. I found that out years and years later. I had no idea at the time. He was this very sweet. I couldn't speak a word of English, but uh, he sometimes came and stayed at Wat Pananachat. And it's a very sweet-natured, genial, you know, uh, lovely old uh, old bhikkhu. So. Okay. In all these instances, the hindrances were removed as a result of attentively listening to the gradual instructions given by the Buddha. In fact, a substantial number of well-known, meditation, <laughs> well-known modern meditation teachers base their teachings on the dispensability of absorption abilities for the realization of stream entry. And um, he quotes Visuddhachara um, uh, on, uh, on that. According to them, 
for the mind to become momentarily absorbed in the experience of Nibbana at stream entry, the ability to attain mundane absorption is not a necessary requirement. The issue at question becomes even clearer when the next stage of awakening is considered, that of once returning, Sakadagami. Once returners are so called because they will be reborn only once again in this world, in the sense sphere, the Karma Loka. On the other hand, those who have developed the ability to attain absorption at will and have not lost this ability are not going to return to this world in the next life. They'll be reborn in a higher heavenly sphere, i.e. the Rupaloka or the Arupaloka, the higher Brahma worlds. This certainly does not imply that a stream enterer or a once-returner cannot have absorption attainments, but if they were all absorption attainers, the very concept of a once-returner would be superfluous, since not a single once-returner would ever return to this world. So the, the, the mythology around stream entry is that uh, guarantees that uh, it, um, you would not be born in any of the lower realms, so that a stream enterer cannot be reborn as an animal, as a hungry ghost or in the hell realms. So as it says, the, the gates to the lower realms are closed. Um, so they either be born as a human being or as a deva or in the, the Brahma world. Um, and also they wouldn't be born as, a, as an asura, uh, so that the, uh, the, uh, as the asura realm is considered one of the, the lower realms. Um, and that they have a guarantee to, uh, to realize enlightenment within seven lifetimes. And so... Uh, they uh, they might return to the human realm seven times or to other realms, but that's a guaranteed uh, uh, enlightenment within seven lifetimes. And then the the once returner is, uh, as I said, will uh, be born into the um, the karma loka is the uh, um, the human realm or the lower heavenly realms, like the the. Uh, as we recite in the Dhammachaka Sutta, the, uh, those heavens uh, all the way up to the uh, Paranimitta Vasavati heaven, those are all considered the Karma Loka. And then above that, the Brahma Loka is, um, is, is not considered the sense, uh, the, uh, the sensory or the uh, sensual uh, realm. The Buddhist mythology has got, uh, cosmology has got a, a lot of different details to it, but that's the, the basic format. And uh, for when speaking about this, some often in the West, people are really allergic to the idea of past lives and future lives, and that as soon as you start talking in those terms, they go, Ooh! and uh, they're very, uh, they have this sort of uh, theory that uh, well, actually, you know, the Buddha never really talked about past lives or future lives. That's nothing to do with Dhamma, and so if if your mind is fixed in that way, and that you like to have that opinion, then you can think of it as. Um, say, not losing the path or not getting dis totally distracted more than seven times. Because uh, if someone who's entered the stream, that um, they can get totally lost or, say, born into some major distraction no more than seven times. It'll get, um, and they're bound to uh, achieve awakening. Um, that's one way of, of thinking of it. Uh, personally, I'm quite happy with the idea of, of past lives and future lives, but... Uh, if uh, someone's allergic to those those ideas, then you can think of it as like, you, 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 uh, if someone has entered the stream, they've made the breakthrough, they can, they can only get lost and, and uh, lose their way a maximum of seven times. In this life. Hmm? In this life. If, if you're allergic to future lives, you can you know, squish it into this life. <laughs>
but uh, the, the the languaging of the of the suttas and the uh, and the Buddha's uh, teachings is, it all, it's all, it talks very matter of factly about uh, lives after this one. So technically, that means that somebody can be born as a stream enterer, you know, or as if you're a once returner that you that you're a, a stream enterer at birth. You know, if you got if you're seven more, you know, no more than seven more lifetimes, that means uh, arriving in the maternity ward, you're a stream enterer. Another interesting thought to pass the evening with, if you want to, things to ponder on. So maybe just a little bit more. According to the discourses, the difference between the realizations of once returning and non-returning is relating to differing levels of concentrative ability. Several passages uh, point out that the once-returner, Sakadagami, in contrast to the non-returner, uh, non-returner is Anagami, uh, has not yet fulfilled the development of concentration. And so that's a, a, a um, sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya. Uh, it says, the, the once-returner, in contrast to the non-returner, has not perfected or completed samadhi. And so that there's, there's a few passages that relate to, uh, to that. So... It's a it's a it's a, a sutta teaching rather than a commentary commentarial teaching. Judging from this, the attainment of absorption might be of relevance for the realization of non-returning. In fact, several discourses relate progress towards the higher two stages of the path, non-returning and arahantship, to having had the experience of the first or higher absorptions. The reason for this could be that the insightful contemplation of meditative absorption fulfills an important role in overcoming and completely eradicating the last traces of desire and thereby facilitates the breakthrough to non-returning or full awakening. The concluding passage of the Satipatthana Sutta, the prediction, that's at the end saying, you know, if, if you carry out these Satipatthanas, then in no long time, seven years, six years, five years, four years, three years, two years, one year, you're down to one week. Uh, the prediction appears at first sight to contradict this, since it predicts the realization of full awakening or non-returning for successful Satipatthana practice without making any additional stipulations. This could be taken to imply that absorption abilities can be dispensed with even for the higher stages of awakening. However, such assumptions need to be weighed against other evidence in the discourses, where the need for at least the first absorption is clearly and explicitly stated. So, the, and he quotes a passage from the Majima which says, there is a path of practice which needs to be undertaken in order to be able to overcome the five lower fetters. And this path of practice is jhana attainment. Although absorption abilities are not directly mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta, the general picture provided by the discourses suggests that the ability to attain at least the first absorption is required for the higher two stages of awakening. Otherwise, it would be difficult to understand why the Buddha mentioned absorption in the standard expositions of the Noble Eightfold Path leading to full awakening. When considering the concluding passage of the Satipatthana Sutta, one needs to take into account that this passage is concerned with the fruits of the practice not with the need for a particular level of concentration as a prerequisite for realization. The fact that it mentions only the, t only the higher two fruits of realization 
highlights the potential of proper practice. The same holds true for a group of 20 discourses in the Bojanga Sangyutta on the seven factors of enlightenment, which relate a broad range of meditation practices to these two higher realizations. The instances, too, do not bear any relation to the presence or absence of absorption abilities, but rather call attention to the potential of respective meditation practices. Moreover, the Majjama Agama and the Ekotara Agama from China, the Chinese Tripitaka, both mention absorption attainment as part of their expositions on Satipatthana. This suggests that for Satipatthana to unfold its full potential of leading to non-returning or full awakening, the development of absorption is required. So I'll leave it there for um, for today. And uh, there's a... Um, a helpful passage in uh, one of Ajahn Chah's Dhamma talks that um, uh, I'll read tomorrow that talks about the, the different aspects of, of uh, absorption in terms of uh, temporary absorption and, and neighborhood concentration and, uh, and uh, access concentration and such like so that uh, uh, Ajahn Chah has a very um, say <coughs> fluid and, uh, and easily understandable style and so I thought that would also be helpful to to be um, reflecting on as a sort of back up to the um, the more sort of sutta based or the um, uh, uh, description that Venerable Analio gives any questions or comments before we finish up for this evening yes Alex I was wondering, um, how do you um, know the experiences of the four elements the descriptions are very very straightforward in, um, and <clears throat> literally you just take a bowl you know take a bowl of water and look at it you know put your hand in it like, with water this is wateriness this is this is uh, this is the water element. So, but that's something to do with cohesion. Um, yeah, it's that it, it embodies the quality of cohesion. Um, but the the when the Buddha is describing the sort of just the ref, the reflections or the uh, using those as a a nimitta, it's like the like the earth nimitta. You take a bowl of earth. And then, of course, the Visuddhimagga says, well, you can have red earth, you can have yellow earth, you can have black earth, you can have white earth. <laughs> We just take a bowl of, of earth. Like, this is earth. So, uh, or the um, uh, the um, the space nimitter is an empty is is an empty window. The akasa nimit the the um, the sort of uh, as an element. I don't mean the nimitter. I mean the, in terms of the experience, like the sense, like when you have a hardness and you mm-hmm. say that's earth. Mm-hmm. Fire is warm and cool. Mm-hmm. It can be any kind of movement. I mean, it's just like it, it represents vi- well, vibration is vayodatu. It represents vibration, so it, it can be anything that, um, I say, carries that. I mean, the, the the air element, just the air that's around you, the air that you're breathing, the air and the breeze. Just this is air element. It doesn't doesn't take a lot more. Uh, it's not it's not more complicated than that. At least it's my experience. It's, it's not more complicated than that. 
air in the body, the the, the vibration in the body, or, or or you can think of it in in terms of you know, the fine sense. Like if you if you touch your your fingers, you can you can feel a, a, just the the very refined sense of touch as a kind of vibration. Oh look. Or then listening to the nada sound, you can, the inner sound, you can think, oh, that's a, <coughs> also a vibration. So that would also sort of come under the vayodata, the, the a- a- aspect of vibration. Cohesion, I, I, you can take something that's just like literally a glass of water or a, uh, a bowl of water. It's like, this is water, this is watery, this is water. <laughs> but then also to, uh, to be considering uh, the cohesion, how things stick together, and that um, that um, in you know, different ways that co- is is perceivable. Um, the um, whether it's uh, just the the drop of water on the side of the glass, or it can be like how the 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 glass does not slide down. My my fingers are adhering to the outside of the glass. There, there, there's there's cohesion, there's there, there's friction there, so that it's they're, they're sticking together. So it's not complicated. So cohesion, okay. There is cohesion. <laughs> so the, those reflections are are, are um, very simple and straightforward, I, uh, as I understand them and how I've used them. Burping. Air movement. <laughs>